This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Dive into The Walrus, Canada's top general interest magazine. Enjoy a carefully curated selection of engaging articles, essays, and more voiced by professional narrators. Listen to Voices of the Walrus today on your favorite podcasting app or platform. From the first moment that I was able to regain some eyesight, I remember thinking that surely the disjointed pieces of my life would naturally start to fall back into place and that life would start to get much easier. Although there aren't words within the English language to accurately depict how genuinely grateful I am to have regained some bit of eyesight, the reality is the eyesight that I was able to regain is significantly limited, and it has changed quite a few times over the past seven years. I've often been asked to describe what I see. So I have no central vision, so I can't see anything happening directly in front of me. I also have no vision to the top or above me. I can't see anything happening on my right-hand side because I have no vision there either. I also can't see anything directly below me, so I can't see my hand moving in front of my face. I can't see the ground or my feet beneath me. But what I can see is kind of like a moon-like arch in my upper outer left-hand quadrant. So my upper outer left-hand side, I'm kind of able to peek out of it a little bit. The images themselves are blurred and the colors are very muted. The best way that I can describe this is, it's kind of like if you've walked into a room where a fire extinguisher has recently gone off and you have that hazy cloud of plume all around you. For those of you who are familiar with an eye chart, you're probably curious as to what I can see on it as well. Honestly, it has changed so many times within the past seven years, but in general, for the first five years or so, I could see about 20 over 200. What that basically means is what a perfect sighted person could see 200 feet away, I could only see that image 20 feet away, and it would also be blurred. But, unfortunately, within the last year and a half or so, my vision has dipped once again. So, on a good day, I'm now able to see 20 over 400, which is the big E on the eye chart. And, on the not-so-good days, unfortunately, I'm not able to see anything on the eye chart. For my right eye, it's pretty easy. I've already shared that I'm completely blind in that eye, and, as a result, I have an artificial eye in it. So... Clearly, I see nothing at all out of that eye. So that all being said, I pretty much had to relearn every aspect of my life and how to do it without relying on the use of my sight. To say that this relearning process was a daunting task, honestly, is a complete understatement. To me, the whole relearn process in general was really emotional, draining, embarrassing, frustrating, and really, I could keep going on. But it was also very ridiculously funny, empowering, and humbling 
That very first day, when I initially got some of my sight back, inside of me, the joy was overflowing, and I kind of felt like I could skip out of the examining room. But what actually took place was completely different. I took my first step forward, and I remember kind of swaying to the side. I fairly easily brushed that off. And then I took my next step, and I kind of remember rocking almost in the opposite direction. I remember at that moment that my husband gently placed his hand around my waist and quietly said to me, Are you alright? I wasn't exactly sure myself as to what was going on, so I didn't know how to answer him, because I had walked into that appointment completely fine. But suddenly now that I could walk upright with my eyes open and actually have some visual feedback, I felt completely dizzy and my body was completely disjointed. I had spent the past 60 days in total darkness, but somehow my brain, eyes and body became disconnected and they seemingly no longer knew how to work together. Dr. Garcia reassured me that in a couple of days' time, my gross motor skills should return. But in the meantime, I took my husband's hand and continued to walk out of his office, looking completely drunk. I took big steps and little steps, and I swayed and I stumbled. But the three of us filled the air with laughter. It was so refreshing because we genuinely hadn't laughed like that in such a long time. For the rest of that day, and for many weeks to follow, I spent my time looking. Looking at everything that I missed. Looking at every single detail of the world that was around me. It was as if I was seeing everything for the very first time. And even the most simplistic detail mattered. My entire life completely slowed down, and my new perspective gave me complete clarity of what my priorities were and what genuinely mattered in my life. Despite having a new level of personal awareness, I myself was still stuck in the grieving process. And what I didn't take into account was the mental impact that this entire process had had on me. I was completely transfixed and stuck in a place of fear. Days, weeks, and months began to pass by. I had pretty much disengaged entirely from the world around me. I very much just wanted to stay home at my house and exclusively interact with the small amount of people who had been right by my side. Initially, honestly, this was quite easy for me to do because I no longer had the independence to drive. I didn't really have enough sight to send an email or read a text message. And I had little to no desire to talk on the phone. I had turtled and essentially I had crawled into my own little shell and I was too scared to even stick my nose out. I don't think that I was clinically depressed or anything, I just think that I was really sad and really fearful about the uncertainty of my eye. 
And I think that I was honestly hoping that if I just waited it out, eventually it would kind of just go away. As long as I was only different at home, that was okay. And perhaps the rest of the world would never find out. But slowly, the inevitable did happen. People outside of my immediate family and closest friends started to find out about my vision loss. I was so embarrassed and terrified of their judgment. But as much as I really did care about the world's perception of me, I was able to realize that my three-year-old son's opinion of me and him having trust in me is what really mattered. Bennett was the one who gave me the much-needed motivation that I had been missing. I clearly remember the moment that my switch was flipped, so to speak. I was only about three feet away from Bennett. He had just put his jacket on and he was trying to zip his zipper up, but he was struggling to get it started. He briefly glanced over at me and then he turned in the opposite direction to start looking for Brad. He started calling his name because he wanted his help. Our son had lost complete confidence in me to even help him out with the simplest of tasks. I remember sitting there completely stunned. I used to be a hands-on mom. There never used to be even one thing that he would hesitate to ask me to do or help him out with. I realized at that moment that I didn't want to quit and give up on the most amazing job I was ever given in my entire life. The job of being Bennett's mom. I remember quietly calling him over and telling him that I could help him out. I gently felt for his jacket and ran my fingers down the length of his zipper. I remember struggling trying to get one end of the zipper into the other when, to my surprise, I felt my three-year-old son's tiny hands resting on top of mine to help me with the alignment. With a gentle pull, I could feel the zipper moving while hearing its familiar sound. My son started to clap his hands and cheer for me. He exclaimed, you did it, mom. Look, dad, mom did it. I had finally taken my first step to embracing my new reality and getting back in the game. In order to become the hands-on person that I was longing to once again be, I knew that I was going to have to do a lot of work, and I really had no idea where to even begin. As a family, we had made many modifications and had done the very best that we possibly could. However, we recognized that we were probably going to need some external support to do this. I essentially was preparing to relearn most aspects of my life. So we reached out to the CNIB. They had the skilled professionals that would be able to teach me how to do a variety of tasks without depending on my eyesight. First, a lady came out and she taught me how to do some really simple basic kind of tasks. Important stuff, like how to pour a glass of water without flooding my entire kitchen floor. She taught me how to organize my kitchen and pantry so I could easily find some commonly used items all on my own. She also showed me how I could tell the difference between a can of chicken noodle soup and a can of tomato sauce all on my own. 
My head was spinning, yet this was all fine because everything that she had been telling me completely made sense. That was right up until the moment she asked me to get a knife and a cutting board so she could teach me how to make a simple snack for my son. I was feeling fairly timid and not really wanting to chop multiple fingers off. So, thinking I was smart, I went and got a banana and a butter knife. She agreed that this was a pretty good place to start and that we could work up to using larger and sharper knives. I remember thinking that she must have thought that I had lost my mind, when in fact, I had only lost my eyesight and there was no way that I was ever going to use a large chopping knife anytime soon. Honestly, all of these skills have taken a lot of time and repetition to master, and realistically, I'm still working on perfecting them today. Over the years, my confidence has increased significantly in the kitchen, and the real ironic part is, I'm a way better cook today with minimal sight than I ever was before. I have my own way of doing things, and I've had to tweak it a lot over the years, and it's been quite the process of trial and error. But... I've acquired a newfound love for cooking. Another area that I really had to relearn was around clothing and fashion. Typically before, I would open my closet, scan for an outfit, and within seconds, my selection was made. I no longer had this option. So initially, I had to rely heavily on my husband to help me pick out my clothes. Let's just say that the much-needed professional support to help me in this area came in just the nick of time. My husband is a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy. I, on the other hand, have always loved fashion. I love mixing and matching, keeping up on the trends, and constantly updating my wardrobe. When my husband, Brad, initially was helping me pick out my clothes, let's just say that he took the mix-and-match concept to a total different level. In fact, I have no idea where he even began to find some of these clothes that he decided to put me in. For example, somehow he was able to locate an Anne of Green Gables t-shirt from 1996 when I was in high school. Seriously, he put me in this t-shirt. And I have no idea why, considering he had hundreds of other t-shirts to select from. On another occasion, when I couldn't see anything at all, Brad and I were going through my closet, trying to organize it so that I could potentially pick some clothing out on my own. And what we would do is that I would feel the shirt, he would describe it to me, and then usually I was able to figure out which one it was. This was all working really great, up until the moment that he completely stumped me, when he said, you know, the pink shirt, the one that looks like the doily. I remember laughing and saying, what? I don't have a shirt that looks like a doily. At least I don't think I have a shirt that looks like a doily. And if I do have a shirt that looks like a doily, you probably should have said something a little bit sooner. Relearning all of these skills was truly hard, though. It was particularly challenging because it didn't come with a set amount of time or a scheduled end date. As complicated as it was to try and navigate learning all of these different skills all at once, the one thing that I resented the most and found especially challenging was learning how to walk again using only minimal eyesight. Once again, a lady from the CNIB came to my house. 
This time, it was the orientation and mobility specialist. In other words, it's the lady that hands out the lovely white mobility canes. I would say within about 15 minutes of her arriving at my house, she was bringing out different mobility canes. She was talking to me about different makes and models and weights and lengths. It was the most surreal experience. I was physically sitting beside her and somewhat participating in the conversation, but truthfully, I had mentally checked out at the word hello. She was really nice, but I really didn't want to hear much of what she had to say to me that day. She handed me a cane and I unenthusiastically humored her and used it in the house. I think it was one of the most awkward things that I've ever done in my entire life. And if I'm being completely honest, I absolutely hated that cane and everything it represented. And I knew that I had zero interest in ever using it. She asked me how I had been getting around up until this point. I told her that I pretty much had the interior of our house memorized and that whenever we left the house, I would just hold on to my husband's hand and kind of follow him. She told us that we had been doing a version of Sighted Guide and she offered to teach my husband the proper way of doing it. We both stood up and she began teaching us. She spoke with Brad about positioning and pacing of his walk. Brad stood there quietly and tentatively listening and patiently practicing her instructions. I remember feeling my heart flutter. This was not what he had signed up for. Yet, my amazingly kind husband stood there beside me, stoically, not wavering for a moment. It was evident once again that we were truly in this together. After she left that day, I took my cane and I stuck it in the very back of my closet in hopes that I would never see it again. It truthfully sat there for about a year and a half. At that time, I really didn't think that I needed it because I didn't leave home all that often. And when I did, I was always with Brad or somebody else that I was extremely close to. So I kind of thought I could flub it based on the fake it till you make it concept. That plan was all working fine until I kind of felt like I was missing something. And then I realized I wanted to have the opportunity to take Bennett out on my own like any other mom. This became my driving force, my motivation, and my inspiration. I had set my next goal. In my mind, I had set a date and time of when I was going to use this beloved cane independently in public all by myself but that day and time actually came around and it was really hard to even open the front door because I hated this cane and everything it represented it represented negativity failure embarrassment and loss the house was empty and I remember standing there at the front door my shoes were on and my cane was in one hand and I had the doorknob tightly grasped in the other. I stood there like this, silently, for a half an hour. As much as I really wanted to take this next step, I was completely paralyzed with fear. I had turned and momentarily rested my back against the door before I slid to the ground and sat on the floor. 
I felt like I really needed to talk to somebody who would understand. I didn't want to interrupt my husband's day at work, and I didn't want to call my parents or my in-laws because I really didn't want to stress them any more than they already were. To somebody who just didn't quite understand, or an onlooker, this moment could have been perceived as something insignificant, but to me, this moment was monumental. Then, I realized who I needed to talk to. I picked up the phone and I made a voice call to my best friend, Erin. She lives seven hours away from me and clearly couldn't just pop over, but we have been friends since we were 14 years old. Erin, to me, is family, and she's always been a constant in my life. She picked up the phone and I had explained to her what I was trying to do and how exactly I was feeling. She suggested that perhaps my goal of walking around the entire block was a bit too big for today, and that maybe I should consider walking to the end of my driveway and back. She offered to even stay on the phone and said that I could take her with me. I giggled and said, no, thank you, but this is something I need to do on my own. Our conversation at that time only lasted a few minutes, and I don't exactly remember everything that she had said to me, but she did tell me that she was very proud of me, and she told me to just focus on baby steps. Before hanging up, she made me promise that I'd give her a call as soon as I arrived back home. I hung up the phone and placed it back in my pocket. I stood up and I reached for the door. I opened it and I took my first steps outside. I'd made my way slowly down our steps and onto the driveway. As I slowly began to move my cane in front of me, I could hear it rattling its way through the crushed rock that lined our driveway. I had successfully made it to the end of our driveway. I then pivoted on my feet and headed once again towards the safety of my home. As I drew closer to the front door, the length of my stride increased as well as my speed. I could feel my head slightly raise up when I felt a small smile appear in my face. I made it back to our front steps. I was safely inside our house. I rested my cane against the wall of our front entrance, and once again, I voice called Aaron. I managed to get the words, I did it out, before the two of us burst into tears. As much as I am still not a huge fan of using my cane, It now no longer only represents negativity to me. It now also represents hope, empowerment, independence, and my future. A long time ago, I came across a poem, and I gave it to a very dear friend of mine. It goes like this. I don't need a certain number of friends. I just need friends that I'm certain of. This very dear friend is Erin, and I am 100% certain that she will always be in my life. So, sitting here with me today, virtually, is my best friend Erin. I thought it'd be kind of fun to bring her in and have a chat. Okay, Erin, my first question to you is, do you remember that phone call that I was talking about and if so, do you recall what was going through your mind at that time? I, I totally remember um, that day very, very well. And to be honest, I was feeling really thankful that you called me that day. 
I know that those first few steps alone outside were terrifying to even imagine. And a part of me was super worried for you too. But together, we talked it through just like friends do. And even though our conversation was very emotional, I was so very happy that I could be there for you by phone that day. I had been selfishly wanting to be there for you in some capacity so many times before, but I knew that I felt like that was my moment to help. And I was so honored that you called me that day. Okay. My next question is, what on earth is it like having a friend that can no longer see? How do you feel this has changed our relationship? Well, I'll say this. I think it's like everything has changed, but also like nothing has changed at all. So sure, the mechanics of how you do things and how we do things together might have changed, like how you use your cane to navigate when we go for a facial or when we visit in a living room and we draw the blinds closed to reduce the glare. But really, on the other hand, it's really like nothing has changed at all because you're still you. I still have you. We still talk, we visit, we laugh, and you still remind me of our high school memories because my memory is the pits. If <laughs> anything, I think our, um, your journey through this vision loss has made our relationship and our friendship stronger. We share more, we're more open and honest with each other about all sorts of things. I know I was proud of you before, but now I'm even more proud of you. I'm just in complete awe of your perseverance and determination. What is something that you've learned on this journey that you think others should know? Well, I would say that being privy to your inner circle and your personal journey over these past quite a few years has taught me that you never really know what someone is going through. Appearances can be really deceiving and you are beautiful, you're funny, you're charismatic. And so at first glance, it looks like you have it all together, but really, you have some struggles, just like we all do. And I think the lesson for me is that we need to be kind to one another because you just never know what the person next to you is going through. So I think this journey has taught me how to show more compassion. Okay, let's flip this and have a little bit of fun. We've known each other for 26 years. Way back in high school, you and I were two peas in a pod. Where one was, the other could quickly be found as well. So keeping it G-rated, what is one of your favorite memories from our friendship? Gosh, there are so many great memories, like being present for each other's weddings, going to our 20th high school reunion together, watching our kids play and chase down the ice cream truck. Uh, there's just so many wonderful memories. But I will say this, our phone calls. Our phone calls are probably my favorite thing we do together, because even though we've spent 20 years in a long-distance friendship, you were always just a phone call away, and I cherish our phone calls so very deeply. And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank my friend Aaron for coming and chatting with me today, and as always, I'd like to thank my family for the continued love and support. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Zarr. Technical production was provided by AMI-audios, Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. And remember, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.